I turned on? Can you hear me? No? Can't hear me? No, I've changed it from you. Oh, yeah. What do I do? It's on mute. It's not on mute. Hello? Can you fix it? Sir? <coughs> ah, there we go. Hello? Hello. Hello. I should put it in my ear. I could clip it to my nose. Give me like a nose ring <laughs> on my glasses. Hello. It's still not. I don't know how to get it any closer. Hi guys. On my tooth. Yeah. That would be interesting. <laughs> having technical issues with the TV or with my computer. That's what he always tells me. Well, did you turn it off and turn it back on? <laughs> Hello? It must be. The problem is not in yourself. Testing. There we go. There you go. Yay! And now we have sound. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dennis. I feel like I need to pray again. <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning, Pastor. Oh, I'm just teasing. I came in this morning and I saw the golf clubs in the glass office. I don't know who they belong to, but the first thing I thought is, oh no, Pastor joined the general church. <laughs> Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Um, I hope you all are blessed. I hope you've had a wonderful week, and um, today's going to be a wonderful day in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Um, I'm. This is somewhat of a an unusual teaching, but it's what the Lord spoke, and um, so I'm actually looking forward to not just what we talk about today, but just what we're stepping into with uh, the revelation of, you know, the schools of the prophets and, and what's happening um, with the understanding of Rama and, and all of those things. And so, you know, it's, it's super interesting because after we came back from France, I stepped into just a really 
interesting season in the Lord where um, he, his presence was so real and so tangible that I was really struggling to like get a salient word. You know, it was just not like brain fog, spirit fog, I guess you could say, where, but I knew there was purpose in it. And, and yet it was a struggle for me because, you know, every day walking a prophetic life, I lean on the voice of the Lord. And it's not like he wasn't speaking. It was just he was teaching me to hear in a different way. But I came in on first Saturday to pray, which if I could just do a quick little ad for that. You know, that is, it's such a significant point of ministry before the Lord. And um, it is one of the things that we have done for many, many years faithfully that you all have participated in, where the Lord calls us together to pray on behalf of what is on his heart. And, and not only to intercede, but also to glean, to, you know, to exercise your prophetic gifts, to share insights and visions. And, and we take those and, and we pray over them. And it is not something that's taken lightly. And I have to say that for myself as well. And so I came in to pray just in faith and, and not really very expectant because I was in this place of however you want to describe it. And the Lord gave me this word out of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And you think, uh-oh. <laughs> well, here I am. And, and the Lord is telling me, first of all, no matter what's going on, no matter what the atmosphere is, no matter what's happening surrounding you, no matter the challenges, the struggles, the distractions, all the things that this long season has really been for me personally and maybe for you, I don't know that how important it was that my, like, primary function was to keep the fire burning, <laughs> you know, at the altar. And, and, and that, it's that way for all of us. We are priests before the Lord. And, and from that, he reminded me of this passage in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this is not a news teaching. I mean, I wrote a whole chapter in the dance book about this in 2006, which I, I marvel. I can't believe so much time has gone by. But um, nonetheless, this is what the Lord was speaking to me. And so I, took, I heeded it for myself, but also realizing that it is a corporate time of prayer, that nothing is just for me. <laughs> I mean, yes, the Lord speaks intimately, personally to us, but... I recognize I don't belong to I don't belong to me. I belong to him and I belong to this body and and to him. And so anyway, I I received it, I submitted it, and of course I've been doing everything I can to live it. But when I sat down a couple of days ago to begin to study for this teaching, and I've literally had I mean I it, it was still I was still in that place. Um he reminded me of this, and he also reminded me of what came forth last Sunday about the faithful witness, about how important it is for us to be in that place of sacrifice continually before him, and how we cannot give him that which doesn't cost us anything. And so I began to just parse these words out and, and study this, this Romans 12, 1 and 2, and that was basically going to be my teaching, but then it, it really segued into 
um, something that I feel like is relevant for us in this time as he's preparing us and developing us to go forth to, to not only present what he has for us to present at the seminar, but to position us, to equip us, to um, just to prepare us and to, to get us ready for what is, is on the horizon for the saints. You realize we have that responsibility. And so um, we're going we're gonna to quickly go through Romans 12, and then we're going to jump into the Old Testament, talk a little bit about sacrifice, and then talk about the high places. And um, the ultimate revelation to me, or commission for us in this, is the reality that over centuries, wait, centuries, is that 10 or 100? 100. I always get decades and centuries. Forgive me, I missed that day in school. Um, <laughs> or at least I wasn't paying attention. But if it's centuries, it could be 200. It, it could, okay. What do you say when it's thousands? <laughs> Millennial, millennium. Millennial, yes, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, now I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, into the Old Testament. No, but still, I didn't get it. Thank you, Sandra. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, the ultimate to me, you know, commission understanding is that in where we are in the Lord, going forth according to His divine timetable, we are entering into, dare I say, some very strategic warfare. And all you have to do is open your media and see what's happening, not only in our country, but throughout the world. It's disgusting, it's almost unbearable, and, and yet that's not my focus. My focus <coughs> is there are high places, there are altars, there are histemic points throughout the world that we have to take back. And, and we do it Yes, you know, we do it boots on the ground. We do it going out and, and, you know, and establishing the saints throughout the nations and equipping them in intercession and, and, and those things. But um, these are things that are going to come to the forefront. And so when I was studying this and I recognized, you know, we talked about a high place. That was pagan worship. That was sacrifice. That, that was pagan worship for not only the, the you know, all of the nations, but for Israel, for God's chosen people, and subsequently now for us, well, for the nations of the world. You hear me? And so that's really where we're going, but our, our positioning in that is so critical that we are the sacrifice, that we offer ourselves as the sacrifice, so that nothing trips us up, you know, <laughs> that, that when, we, when we get to that place, either an intercession or whatever it might be, we're not tripped up by our own iniquity. And so we're, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm just giving you a full picture. So let's, let's jump into to Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we're going to go through this quickly. This is not, like I said, a new teaching. Um, I wish that I had more time, but this is, this is what... We have, this is what we have and this is what we're going to do. So we all know what the Apostle Paul says here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then we'll go into verse 2 in a minute. So let's just look at this and see what the Holy Spirit is saying through the Apostle Paul for us. And let's let the Holy Spirit breathe something fresh into this for us, okay? Because I can't stress enough. I may not have, you know, anything. No, no. I know that I know that the Lord, that this is a word from the Lord, that what he's been bringing these last couple of weeks about being the witness, about, about being in that place of sacrifice, that is of the Lord. That is undeniably about the Lord. And so this really focuses on our willingness to step into that and to be um, that sacrifice. So he begins with saying, I beseech you. Okay? Beseech you is perikaleo. And we all know that that means to call forth, to call someone alongside, really to appeal to them to join together in a particular situation or scenario. But we also recognize that there's the godly perikaleo, and that's what this is. It's, it's calling us it's calling us um, near to partner with God according to his will and purpose. So, and we know that the parakletos is the comforter, it's the Holy Spirit. So what I see here is through the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, is saying to us, I call you forth, okay? According to God's divine purpose and plan for you in this moment, I am calling you forth, brethren, by the mercies of God. Mercies, if you look on the Strongs in the New Testament, it's going to say compassion, mercy, pity. Um, but you know what we need to recognize? Is that God's mercy, we don't deserve his mercy. It, it's not based on anything that we can do, anything, it, 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 even our desires. In fact, if you look in Romans 9, he talks about basically this very thing. You know, no one really deserves his mercy. God chooses who he bestows his mercy on. He chooses that. But we also know through scripture that his mercies are new every morning. His mercies are such an incredible, this is such a powerful appeal for us that through the mercies, by the mercies of God, he's beseeching us to step into this place and to present ourselves before the Lord. We know that mercies also in the Old Testament represent the mercy seat, and they represent, you know, that place of intimate commune and the company of angels where God releases his prophetic directives and his um, counsel to us. And so consider all that when you look at, I beseech you, I call you near by, through the Holy Spirit, through the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now present here is peristeme, and Peristeme is a wonderful study, and, and this is really a lot of what I did in that chapter in the dance book, um, but <clears throat> we don't really have time to go into that. But peristeme, it's a derivative of steme, and we know steme means to stand, right? Peristeme means to stand by, to stand beside, to be at hand, or to yield in commitment and in support of the esteme assignment. And we know that that histemi assignment is our established power base. It's a place where God has planted us. It speaks of our strategic positioning and really our placement. And so there's a power in that. So when he beseeches us, he calls us forth through the mercies of God that we peristeme, that we yield ourselves 
in full commitment and support to what God has for us in that histeme assignment. And let me tell you, our histeme assignment in this moment is on that altar. It is. I mean, we have histeme assignments all over, but one significant histeme assignment is us being on that altar, okay? And therein we stand, right? Even when it's hot, even when it burns, even when it's uncomfortable, we histeme in that place because that is his assignment for us. And then we do that in full body, okay? So when we peristeme, it's like if we're talking about an altar, and this is a burnt altar, right? It's like drawing near to the fire to welcome his fire. And to really, you know, our desire is to move as that flame, is to become the very essence of his presence because he is a consuming fire. And that is what he has for us. And that as temples of his spirit is what we are yielding through for his spirit to flow through us fluidly just as the sacrifice yields to the fire. And, and that is our place and that is where he is calling us. And so it's, it's our offering to him. It's laying, our, it's laying aside our own desires. It's allowing our flesh to die in order to follow, in order to serve, and in order to worship him in fullness, in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen. And then bodies. Bodies, the definition of bodies, it's soma, and it's as a sound whole. Okay? So it's the whole body. You know, you can't just offer a limb. Right? You can't just, I would like to offer my foot. <laughs> but it is our full body. It is, um, it's our full body because sanctification, it extends to the whole man. And it really is from the inside out. So, um, bodies also translates as a slave. So, as we offer our bodies, we recognize that we are slaves. We are bought and owned by God. And then I wanted to, to bring to point something just for our um, later study of, um, of scripture about peristeme out of Romans 6.13. It says, Apostle Paul, neither peristeme ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield or peristeme yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So our instruments are our weapons. That word translates as weapon. And um, it's intended, our weapons, you know, as we use our bodies, because he created our bodies, every part of it to be used on behalf of his um, righteous purpose, we have to remember that they're like weapons. And so why do they have to be presented and put on the altar because of the iniquity, which is that twisted purpose, which literally will taint the effectiveness of our worship, our warfare, whatever he calls us to do. It's like a root that will pervert, you know, in the, in the depths. And so it can paralyze us um, in not a greatest moment, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So our iniquity has to be dealt with so that our growth and our movement truly reflects life and purity, spirit, and his fire. And anything less is just not acceptable. And so sanctification, um, it's, it's the whole body 
you know, you think, I, you know, I was thinking about the body, and I don't want to get off on a, on a um, rabbit trail because I don't really have time, but, you know, this body, this temple, houses everything. And um, your soul, your mind, your emotions, your thoughts, your spirit man. And um, it's all got to be there. It's all got to be presented before the Lord in that peristeme before him. The outward life reflects the affections of the heart. The inward reflects the spirit that should strive continuously for renewal. The, fr the flesh is weak. The mind is at enmity with the spirit. So as we give ourselves in body in this sacrificial worship, it should be a reflection of the inner life, pure and holy before the Lord, and really our desire to be like him. You know, be ye holy as I am holy, that is sanctified. And that's who we are as saints. So it's really likened to, in a different way, to the process of contrition where you have to be crushed. Or um, even the anointing where you have to be pressed. It all costs you something. And it's all necessary. And it's all for his purpose. Every part of it. Amen? Living sacrifice. Sacrifice is an act of offering. It's that which is offered. It comes from a word that means to slaughter or to kill. And it's from where we get the word, or from that word comes the word for altar. And so what is that living sacrifice? Well, it's complete and willing surrender to his fire. Um, giving your body solely to God in a way that is a, a sweet offering to the Father and uh, willing to allow the dross to be burned away so that we are pure in spirit so that we can flow fluidly in his wind. It's embracing his fire. It's allowing him to prune us, being washed with water and in the blood. And it's really embracing a life of judgment and burning, which is partnership in um, the restoration of his intended purpose and the fire that applies that. So, um, and it's laying on the altar with, an, with a heart of praise. And, you know, we talk about the sacrifice of praise. That's very real. Because oftentimes, we don't feel like praising. You know, we may not be in a position where you feel thankful or you want to praise, but that doesn't matter. Because he is always worthy. Always worthy of that. Now, when you look at sacrifice, um, the Greek word ola translates also as stairs. And it's called the ascending offering because the smoke rises and it's pleasing to God. And do you know that the burnt offering is that of the highest order of offerings? So it's the entire animal that's burned uh, every morning and every evening. And we know that, um, thank God, we don't have to do that anymore because honestly, I don't know if I would be a Christian. <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I mean, I'm sure I could, but it would be very difficult for me to slaughter an animal. But thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the new covenant. Um, Ephesians 5.2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. And then Hebrews 13.15 through 16, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. 
but to do and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So it's not just the sacrifice of praise, it's the, do, the doing good, the tobe. I know this is New Testament, but that's my translation, and to communicate through that measure of praise and thanksgiving. So it's basically a heart of worship that says, Lord, use me at whatever cost. Do what you will. I am yours. And then I don't know if I gave you 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 5, but I'm going to read this because it applies. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also are lively stones and are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices according to God by Jesus Christ. So as we become more like Jesus, as we become more like him, being conformed into his image, which is what this whole pathway of the last 25 years has been for us as saints, our bodies are formed into spiritual houses that are prepared for service and ministry to him. And it's from that place. Trust me, I have learned this. It is from that place, from that deep dwelling place, that ministry comes forth. That is where the holy priesthood comes forth. And... Um, it's, it's really the essence of our identity as saints and who we are as priests. And, um, yeah. So we are holy, or our sacrifice is holy, and that's hagios, and we know that translates as saint, holy, blameless, and pure. The angels cry, holy, holy, holy. It speaks of the purpose or will of God, <clears throat> which is really the whole purpose for our surrender and our sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But we recognize that hagios um, if you study back the root, it means to, um, it, it's, it's the heart of God for restoration. And it's partnering with God in that measure of restoration, which is um, seeing or taking something that's been twisted, made ugly, and partnering with him and bringing it back to a place of beauty and function before him as he created it from its intended place. But, and that is our calling as saints. We're called to do that throughout the earth, in the earth, and throughout the saint, throughout, you know, um, God's people throughout the earth but it starts with us you know it has to start with us it has to be this process that's continually at work within us because we are continuously going to be changed from glory to glory it's a continual process I don't care who you are God is telling you to get on the altar <laughs> yeah it's acceptable it's well pleasing to him It's reasonable. This is kind of where you take the romance out of it. Um, logikos, from the root of logos, it's reasonable. It it's communicates a word of enduring purpose is what the logos does. So as we do this, um, we're communicating his divine agenda and his, his um, identity. And we know that Lego comes from Lego, which means to systematically lay forth. All this is God's intended purpose for us. It's like... It's like the nuts and bolts. It's like the line upon line. I romanticize everything in the Lord. But this is, this is reasonable for us. This is what is well-pleasing to him. And it is truly a line upon line from the beginning through eternity. Um, so our body as a living sacrifice is literally communicating the purpose of God through its acts of submission and obedience. And that is our reasonable service and that is our worship unto him. And service is ministry, okay? 
And then Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm sorry I'm going so fast, but I was going to try to finish this part by 9.30 and I have three minutes, but it's okay. You can do it. I can do it. Um, Conformed means to be fashioned-like, okay? So we we don't want to look like the world. And I can tell you, going through Scott College, I studied fashion. The one thing that causes fashion to hit and be, be the thing is for people to start looking like that. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't work if people don't put it on and wear it. <laughs> That's not what we're supposed to do. We are not supposed to be conformed to this world, but we are supposed to be transformed. This is like changing into another form is transformation. It's like this inward change um, where we are morphed. It's metamorpho. It's, it's like this complete change under the power of God where truly we find the expression of who the Lord is in us that comes forth. Um, Morphe lays stress on the inward change. The other word, schema, lays stress on the outward appearance. But this is an inward, this is an inward change for us. Um, it has to come from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with open face beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord. We are all changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It is absolutely by the Spirit of the Lord. It's not just this outward disconformity to the ungodly world. Okay? Um, And the evils that surround us, that's religion. It is an inward change. Do you remember in the beginning when we did the purging? Remember that? The big purge? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what you purged? Everybody says DVDs. Do you remember how big of a deal that was for us? And I, you know, just think about it, consider today, would you purge the same things? We're changed. (laughs) We are changed completely. And yet that can change is gonna continue. Um, It's an inward spiritual transformation that makes a whole new life. It's a necessary process. And it really is the establishment of us in our identity as saints. Um, And I can tell you, over this last season, I have been transformed. And, you know, it's just so interesting, God's timing. But um, I know it's real. You may not see me any differently, but I know what's been happening. And I've not shared it with anybody. I've not, you know, gotten up and sung about it or prayed about it or, you know, publicly. But it has been a quiet work within me because my mind needed to be renewed. And, and we'll get there now. Um, through the renewing of the mind. Renewing is anakanos. Anna is in the midst of and kanos is something new and fresh. It means that we are renovated, a complete change for the better. Okay? Kanos, we've studied about this. It's like the word for new in the, um, the New Testament. Um, it's something in season or ripe for the taking, like the new wine, the New Testament, new creature. It is literally being made fresh and new. And I, I just, you know, I just have to testify that I was struggling in my mind. You know, I was having thoughts that I, I mean, I was struggling in my mind, and it would just like creep in, not anything 
evil, but if it's not holy, you know what I mean? And, and I have just felt this renewal, this fresh touch in my mind through this process. And I believe and I know that God is calling us to live in this kainos, to, to, um, to live in the new, not in the past. You know, how often do you hear, oh gosh, I wish it was like it was in the old days, you know, when, you know, it was like first love and this honeymoon stage and all that. We don't want that. We want the kainos. We want the new, the fresh today, right? And that's what God is doing in this process. He's bringing us to, into this place where, um, where we are in our first love. We are pursuing our first love. Our heart is beating for our first love. But it's not the past. It's today. And I love that. But it comes through that measure of renewing your mind. Amen? Amen. Amen. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm going to preach anyway. Um, so how do we do that? Well, we stay in his presence. we faithful to intercession, to commune. We wash, we're washed with his word, have fellowship with, with, with him and even with one another. And then our outward lifestyle becomes a reflection of the inward work that's going on. But it's a continual transformation for us. And so, you know, he's pricking, he's pricking the, you know, real subtle things. You know, when I tell you, and I'm just transparent and say, you know, I'm having these, this thought would come into my mind, I'm thinking, where did that come from? But nonetheless, if I meditate on it, it becomes something that either frustrates me or makes me unhappy or, you know, some emotion that I don't need to be on because I'm not on the altar, right? I don't know if you guys have been experiencing this, but it's been very real. But I'm transformed. So, hallelujah. But I know it's going to be a continual process because this is a word in season for, for us. That we may prove um, the good and acceptable. What is the passage? That we may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, it's interesting. I think people mistranslate this or misinterpret this. We're not proving his good will. We're not proving, no, let me, we're not proving what his good will is. We're proving his good will. Does that make sense? We are through this, we are proving what is his good and acceptable will because it's becoming who we are. It's becoming um, our desires and, and, and who we are. And it's good for us and it pleases him and it's complete in every way and it's really all that we need. So, um, but it's a battle. And we have to willingly climb upon that altar and not climb back off. But let him have his work. We have to embrace the fire, um, not hold anything back. I, I read um, in my devotion, I think it was yesterday, Oswald Chambers, and he was referencing the passage out of Luke 18.22 when the guy goes to Jesus and says, What shall I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus responded with, Sell all that you have. And what Oswald said, his interpretation was, in other words, rid yourselves before God of everything that might be considered a possession until you are a mere conscious human being, being standing before him, and then give God that. And that's what we owe him, because of his mercies. Yeah, everything. It's like, 
you know, the, the possession of owning nothing, or I can't remember how that phrase goes, but everything that we are, everything that we have is His. And He wants us to, it, He wants it to be perfected so that we can prosper in the things that He gives us to perform and to, to accomplish in Him. So sacrifice is big. And, and I know that this was talked about last Sunday, but we're going to revisit a few things um, just in light of where we are. Is everybody good? Are we good? Okay. We're going to jump into the Old Testament, and we're going to just talk about a few sacrifices that um, actually we talked about in the worship time, worship, um, pre-service worship gathering that the Lord just brought to mind. Um, you know, Jesus, of course, was the ultimate sacrifice. But when you look in the Old Testament, the first reference to worship is when Abraham got his son, who was his most endeared possession in his life, and he walked up to the high place to offer him as a burnt offering. And that was called worship. That was the first reference to the word worship, okay? And I don't need to read the story. We've, it's very familiar to all of us, but you think about the significance of that and what Abraham represents in way of the father of all who walk in faith, the father of righteousness, establishing you know, what is seen and done and heard from the right hand of the father from the throne. He represents so much for us. And yet God required this of him and it was necessary for him to offer this as an example for us because it's necessary for us as well. Um, I want us to consider where we are today in preparation for um, this season, for leading into the seminar. You know, we've been in this place for the last year of really welcoming God's presence because without that, we have nothing. And I, you know, not even really realizing this, I think I said this the last time I taught, for whatever reason, you walk into the sanctuary to pray, and the Lord has had me for the last two years in the altar. And it wasn't, you know, this great revelation, oh, you're going to be on the altar. It wasn't that. It, it, it is just where he has me, and, and it's, it is for a purpose. But considering where we are, you know, we, we're experiencing these incredible depths of commune. We're experiencing a weightier burden, I feel his glory on, on really establishing um, and expanding the saints throughout the earth and that ongoing development and maturity um, as covenant partners throughout the earth with the Father from the throne um, in establishing his kingdom in the land. And we've been talking about Samuel. Pastor's been teaching about the School of the Prophets, the Faithful Witness last weekend, um, living sacrifice, our dying to the flesh, embodying that spirit of prophecy. Um, this is our spiritual lifestyle for us in the end times. This is. It is our lifestyle, and it's, in, it's vital that we heed it as both lovers and warriors um, because we have to recognize that um, some of the places that he's sending us either in intercession or in the natural, where we go and take back those places are pretty evil. They're, they're completely evil. And this is truly one of our greatest weapons that we have. The enemy hates our posture of surrender. He hates humility. He hates contrition. All of these things found through sacrifice 
and yet we are called to yield our instruments, our weapons for righteousness, for God's word, from his right hand, from his vision, but we are at war. And we need to recognize that in war, in this end time, our posture in many ways is gonna be on the altar. It's surrender. And you know, Zach, this morning during prayer, the Lord was just like speaking to me about you. And I just wanted to say that how much I appreciate your your, um, humility and your meekness. And you know, I think Jesus was described as gentle and lowly. You carry that, and it's so powerful, really. It's like God brought you into this house. It's such a timely hour to represent that for us because it's so powerful. It really is. Our surrender is so powerful. And do we recognize still the power of proskuneo? Or is it just something we go through the motions doing? I'm just asking, and I'm asking myself. Do we recognize the power found in real, true, prophetic worship that is absolute surrender at his throne? We have to. These are, the, these are things God has given to us. They're treasures for us to live and apply and, and, and use. You know, or is it just something that's common to us? We can't let that happen, guys, because... Um, we just can't. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about Hannah's sacrifice and about Rama. Um, it's just an interesting part. You know, so Hannah, I think if we've taught about anybody in the Old Testament, well, no, that's not true. I'm not going to say that. We've focused on Hannah a whole lot over the course of the years, and, and rightfully so, because what she carried and, and what she offered to the Lord was so significant. And, and I want to just bring to mind the reality that, you know, in light of this discussion about sacrifice, that she was a vital, you know, a vital role. She played a vital role in that in the way she offered Samuel. And, you know, kind of the same with Abraham and Sarah. They waited for this child, this promise, and the Lord brought him. And then the Lord says, you give him to me. The same with Hannah. You know, the whole, she goes into, you know, they go to make their, their, their seasonal visit to Shiloh. And she cries out to the Lord in supplication. You know, there's so many principles that are involved in this that we have drawn from and that we continue to live, you know, the grace and the supplication. But I just want to look for a minute at the sacrifice and the reality that she, you know, her husband had another wife that was producing babies. She was barren, and that was a curse for a woman back then. And she wanted a child, and and the Lord heard her prayer and gave her a child, and she was, she gave him to the Lord. I mean, she dropped that baby off when he was, I don't know, maybe three or yeah, yeah, could you do that? I mean, yeah, we would, but do we recognize the gravity of some of these things that have been done before us? And, and we may, I, you know, I may not be asked to, I mean, I was. We've all been asked to give our children up. We've all been asked that, but, you know, maybe today's a moment where you're holding on 
And the Lord is just saying, release it. Release them and see what I'll do. And so I love the fact that I'm just going to read um, 1 Samuel 1. I'm going to skip to, t- to 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, and I, as, which I asked of him. Therefore I have also lent him to the Lord. As long as he lived, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he, and he worshiped the Lord there. So you think about what God did through Samuel. Through this whole story, through the fact that she offered that sacrifice to the Lord, not to Eli, to the Lord, so that he could establish all that he established in the land, the open vision, the priesthood, the judge, you know, the judgeship. He established kings and he developed this, you know, the spirit of prophecy was there and 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 the school of the prophets and all the things that Samuel did. And I know we're gonna talk probably a lot about that during the seminar. But it all comes back full circle to the martyrs, to the, you know, that spirit of prophecy, that's that giving to the Lord, what belongs to him. And, and I really just love that, that sacrifice. It's God's cycle. And it's really the deepest measure of devotion, submission, commitment, and passion that we can have for God in his partnership. And... Um, you know, there was a word that was given a few months back and forgive me, um, I remember the word was, we are stepping into a season where his word is being fulfilled. Remember that? We're in that season. And, and as we go forward in this development of what is coming forth in Revelation, that is happening. You know, none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. That's amazing. And so we are stepping into those days. Um, so I, I want to um, I want to talk a little bit about going further back with Samuel about his father. And you know we talk about Hannah. I just want to talk for a minute about his father, and it's going to lead us into some interesting dialogue or passages, um, and then we'll end with Proskuneo. But 1 Samuel 1, verses 1 through 3. Now there was a certain man of Ramah named Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elahu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other was Penina. Penina, is that right? Penina. And Penina, if that's how you pronounce it, had ch- poor lady, <laughs> had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man, Elkanah, Samuel's dad, went up to his city yearly to worship to Saha or Saka or Shaka, and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And so he was a godly man. He was actually a Levite through his heritage. He had two wives, which was against the law, literally. But back then, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So he had, you know, Hannah, who he loved, I believe, because he gave her the double portion of the offering. His other wife was producing children for him. And he would go and make these 
you know, go to the 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 the, the, fe the, the feast, I guess, to, to Shiloh to worship to Shekah and to make sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. So this is before Samuel came onto the picture, right, is we have this little piece of scripture. Now, we know that Shekah or Sahah, it, it means to depress, to prostrate, to bow down upon the ground in reverence and devotion. It's, it's, it's used to describe ultimate devotion and commitment to either God or to demonic idols or man. This will always be the line, there will always be a line of demarcation in whom that we will serve. And it is really our Old Testament equivalent of proskuneo. So he would go and do this. He, would, he was a man of worship and, and intercession. He also made sacrifice, which um, it was a burnt offering. He did it. He wasn't able to do it. But Eli's, I guess his evil sons, the priests, did that for him. But it was important to him. And I love the fact that it says that he went and worshipped, made sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. Because, to me, I just found that super interesting. Because we know, it's almost like the, well, I was going to say, it's almost like the Lord knew. I mean, <laughs> his scriptures are, you know, they're, they're divine. They're, they're, they're spirit-breathed. And it says he went to worship to the Lord of hosts. And we know the Lord of hosts is the name of God in his capacity as a warrior. And it represents... You know, the armies of heaven going forth to war on behalf of righteousness. It embodies the spirit of judgment and burning, which is that demonstration of God, which establishes his righteousness and bringing his purpose to a point of reclamation, restoration, and function. Did you get all that? And it also is similar to or likened in the New Testament to the Lord's Sabaoth, which is from where we get the word Sabbath which acknowledges, you know, reflecting on what God has done, but looking into the horizon for what God has promised. And I love the fact that Samuel's dad was this man that would go make worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. Because, let me tell you, evil was rampant throughout the land. And he knew. And, 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 and I just find that, that, that very important, very significant. Now, it says that he was from this place, Ramah Beim Zophen. Now, I am not a Hebrew scholar yet. <laughs> it's a work in progress, but I'm not a, word, you know, a Hebrew word scholar, so I'm going to have to probably get with pastor at some point and try to parse some of this out because some of it I don't understand. But I'm just going to bring you what I do know from what I found in my study yesterday. Um, this place that's described from where Samuel's father is from is, it comes from two roots or two words, Rama, which is familiar to us, and Sapa, okay? Rama, it's number 7413. It literally translates or is described as a height, as a center or a seat of idolatry or a high place. And then it says it's the same as Rama 7414, which is the name of four places in Palestine. Some places say five, um, which represents a hill, the town of Benjamin on the border of Ephraim, about five miles from Jerusalem and near to Gibeah, the home place of Samuel, located in the hill country of Ephraim. I've done a lot of study about Rama just because of the whole Rachel weeping for her children. She was hurt in Rama. 
Rama is such a strategic place for us, and I know that that's going to be taught during the seminar in further detail. But it's just interesting to me that in this scripture, it uses that first definition, which is the height and the center of idolatry and a high place. And so that's where he was from, okay? Elkanai, just a little history um, and of Rama. Um, well, let's talk about Rama for a minute. Um, and why it's Zophim, why it's, what's this name? The name signifies the double city, the old and the new town of Rama. There were five cities of this name, all on high ground. This city had an addition of Zophim attached to it because it was founded by Zuf, an Ephrathite, that is a native of Ephrathah. And then it says, Bethlehem in the expression of Rama, Rama, Tham, Zophim must therefore be understood as Rama in the land of Zuf in the hill country of Ephrathah. It is signified as watchtowers or as watchmen with reference either to the height of its situation or being as a residence of prophets who were watchmen. And that came out of Ezekiel 3.17. Um, Elkanai was a Levite. He was a good man, though he practiced polygamy. Um, and then we already talked about that. So this is where he was from. And so I want us to look for a few minutes at what this word Rama signifies this particular usage of Rama because it translates as high place. It's only used four times in scripture as opposed to 37 times the other Rama that they say is the same word. Um, am I totally confusing you? Stick with me. <laughs> but I, I want to focus on the high place and how this word was used, but also keep in mind that dual meaning. Um, the other meaning of this place where he was from is Zappa. And it means to lean forward, to peer into the distance, to observe and to await, to keep watch, to watch expectantly, to watch diligently, not a simple gaze. Ezekiel, as a prophet, carried the weight of the calling as watchman for his people. The Lord does the same, keeping watch over the nations, people both good and evil. And, and then Eli watched for the ark, his heart trembling in 1 Samuel 4.13. So I just gave you a few instances of that word. That's a whole other study for another day, but we don't have time for that. So we're going to focus on the high place right now. And like I said, it's only used four times. And it's interesting that all four times it's used in Ezekiel 16. Now, never in my life did I ever dream that I would be teaching about Ezekiel 16. Have you ever read it? Okay. You probably don't have it underlined in your Bible, but I do. Actually, I have um, verses 6 through 14 highlighted in my Bible because... There's two scriptures, there's more than that, but significant scriptures in my life that have been very meaningful for me. One of them was Rachel weeping for her children and, and calling them forth, that they will come back to their borders and they will fulfill their purpose. This is the other one. Never did I ever think that God would have me talking about this publicly, but nonetheless, this is where the Lord led me. So we're gonna look at Ezekiel 16 in its entirety and, um, and we're going to go through it fast, okay? This is really a parable that Ezekiel wrote of Jerusalem's unfaithfulness. And I'm just going to read the first verse. Um, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And say, Thus says the Lord God unto Jerusalem, My birth and thy nativity is, is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite, thy mother a Hittite. 
And as for thy nativity, in the day that thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither was thy washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pity thee to do any of these things, to have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out into an open field to, to loathing of the person in the day that thou wast born. This speaks of the early beginnings of Jerusalem. Nobody noticed her, nobody pitied her, nobody had compassion upon her. He says that she was thrown into an open field, and that actually was a cult practice of infanticide that was prevalent in that time during that world. So it likened it to these unwanted, unwanted and deformed children that were cast out at birth and left to die in open fields. Does that remind you of anything? Yeah? I mean, yeah. But God noticed her struggling, and he came to her aid. And he said to you, and I said to you, live. So this really is, this part right here, 6 through 14, um, is really the bridegroom speaking and calling her forth as his bride, speaking of Israel, but it also speaks of the new covenant, the church, speaks to me, and I hope it speaks to you. Ezekiel 16, 6 through 14, and this is him speaking to his people. And when I passed by thee, I saw thee polluted in thine own blood, and I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, live. I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. I have caused thee to, to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great, and thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned. This is kind of a little risque, guys, so just hold on. Thy breasts are fashioned, thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with you, says the Lord God, and you became mine. Then washed, I washed you with water, I washed away the blood, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered work, I shod you with badger skin, and I girded you about with fine linen, I covered you with silk, I decked these ornaments, put bracelets on your hands, chains on your neck, jewelry on your forehead, your earrings, beautiful crown on your head. That was decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment of fine linen and silk, embroidered work, thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou was exceedingly beautiful, and thou did prosper into a kingdom, and thou renowned went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness, which I put upon thee, says the Lord. So he comes upon her, he sees her lost, and he calls her his own. He steps into covenant with her and um, clothes her with robes of righteousness, and um, her beauty and her fame went out through the whole earth. Now, how do I... How do I associate with this? Because this was me. <laughs> I mean, when I was lost, when I, I mean, it's, it was all of us. He's so good. His mercy is so good. I mean, when we least, ex when we least, least deserved it, he went to that cross and, and he saved us. And by his mercy, he speaks to us, live. And he continues just to pass by. He will never stop passing by us. He will never stop pursuing us. He will never ever leave his covenant with us he's that faithful and 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 i love that so her fame went out to the nations and we know that under um the reign of david and solomon jerusalem was a magnificent city i mean pulled her pulled her out of the dross made her this magnificent city 
and um, yeah. And so then Ezekiel starts speaking of her unfaithfulness, okay? Because during Solomon's reign, remember, um, he began to open up that idol worship and Jerusalem turned from God to idolatry. Ezekiel 6, 15 through 34. But thou didst trust in thine own beauty and play the harlot because of thou renown and pourest out thy fornications on every one that passed by. And of thy garments did they take, they deckest thy high places with divers colors, played the harlot. Thou hast taken the jewels of gold and silver that I have given thee, and madest, madest thyself images of men, and did commit whoredom with them. I'm sorry, this is kind of R-rated. And took thy broidered garments, and covered them, and thou hast set oil in mine incense before them, my meat also which I gave thee. Um, where, wherefore I fed thee, thou hast set it before thee, them for a sweet savor. Um, moreover, thou hast taken thy sons and thy daughters, whom thou hast borne unto me, and these hast thou sacrificed for them to be devoured. In this thy whoredoms a small matter, that thou hast slain my children, and delivered them to cause them to pass through the fire for them. And in all thine abominations and thy whoredoms, thou hast not remembered the days of thy youth, when they, th thou wast naked and bare, and polluted in your blood. And so her naked and bare was uncovered and unprotected, right? She didn't remember any of that. She didn't remember his mercy. And, you know, back then, the practice of child sacrifice was forbidden to the Israelites. But it was very prevalent in Canaan <coughs> and Ammon. Parents killed their children and offered them into, in, into the fire for Molech. Um, but then the practice crept into the nation of Israel, and by Ezekiel's time, child sacrifice was practiced openly in Jerusalem. Sound familiar? <laughs> Ezekiel 16, 23 through 29. And it came to pass, after all thy wickedness, thou hast also built unto thee an eminent place, and thou hast made thee a high place. This is our word, Rama in every street, and thou hast built high places, Rama, at every head and in the way, and hast made thy beauty to be aboard, and hast opened thy feet to everyone that passed by, and multiplied thy whoredoms, committed fornication with the Egyptians, um, and provoked provoke me to anger. I have stretched forth out my hand over thee, and diminished thine ordinary food, and delivered thee unto the will of them that hate thee, the daughters of Philistines, which are ashamed of thy lewd way. Even the Philistines were ashamed of them. Thou hast played the whore also with the Assyrians, because thou wast unsatiable, played the harlot with them, and couldst not be satisfied. Thou hast moreover multiplied thy fornication in the land of Canaan unto Chaldea, and yet thou wast not satisfied. Her lust for idols was insatiable and you know I think about our world and I, I, I just think what drives these people what drives humanity to do some of the things that you see done I it just it's evil it's demonic and I believe so strongly that these high places I mean there's still things that are active in these histemic points in these high places so her harlotry moved from high places to the highways it shrines to foreign gods um, they were erected at every intersection and every public square and on every street. That's who she had become. That's who Jerusalem had become. 
the one that God had chosen, that he had poured his mercy on, that he had covered with his skirt and protected and promised and intercovenant with, became his bride, this is how she responds. And it was idol worship. I mean, it was whoredoms. It was whoredoms with Egypt and Assyria and Babylon. And it just is disgusting. And, you know, I talk about us being on that altar and we talk about idols, you know, idols. What are our idols? You know, what, what are they? There was a, a survey that went out to pastors like through America and they, they named five things were the, the idols that, um, that they faced in the church. First one was comfort, control, security, money, and approval. Could be a person, could be a child, could be sports, could be vanity. Anything that your heart has extreme devotion for that takes you away from your focus on God and his purpose and his will, whatever your heart is obsessing over. Anything that you rely on for blessing, for help, for guidance, in place of our wholehearted reliance and trust on the living God, that is an idol. I joked when I broke my ankle that the Lord tore down the idol of shoes for me. (laughs) And I know that sounds so silly, but I mean... <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds so carnal and so ridiculous, but I mean, there's, it's subtle. Not that shoes ever took the place of God. I thought, I, I'm joking here. But um, so he, he tried to curb her, her evil, her insatiable need for this by imposing judgment. And we know that he used the Philistines um, to do that. Um, I'm going to have to brush through this. Um, let's look at 16, 35 through 42. Wherefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because of thy filthiness, thy nakedness discovered through thy whoredoms with thy lovers, with all the idols of thy abominations, and by the blood of thy children, which thou didst give unto them. Behold, therefore, I will gather all thy lovers, and with whom thou hast taken pleasure, and all them which thou hast loved, and all them that thou hast hated. I will even gather them around you and against you, they will discover your nakedness unto them. That's their defenselessness, because it was, you know, it was warfare. That they may see all of your nakedness, and I will judge you. And and he continues on to talk about his judgment. Uh, I will also give thee unto their hand. They will throw down your imminent place. They will break the high places. They shall strip thee of all your clothes, take your jewels, and leave you naked and bare. Um, so. God was going to use her lovers to destroy her, and he did that. And he would bring the nations against her, strip her in front of them, and she would be left defenseless. But then he says in 43, Because thou hast not remembered the days of thy youth, but hast fretted me in all these things, she grieved the Holy Spirit. Therefore I will also recompense thy way upon thine head, says the Lord God, that they shall not commit the lewdness above all thine abominations. So his mercy, you know, she had chosen this way even though God had poured his mercy upon her. And, and she cut herself off from the only source, you know, the true source that she had for blessing and for prosperity. But then God's response was in verse 60. This blows me away at the goodness and the holiness of God. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish unto you an everlasting covenant. 
Then thou shalt remember thy ways and be ashamed. When thou shalt receive thy sisters, thine elder and thy younger, and I will give them unto thee for daughters, and not by thy covenant, and I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And you will remember and be confounded and never open your mouth any more because of your shame when I was pacified toward thee for all that thou hast done, says the Lord. So we know that he restores her. I mean, that's the end of the, well, that's the end of this story. We know that that's coming in the millennial. We know that Jesus is coming back and Jerusalem is the place he says he's coming. And, and he is coming to restore her, but you know, this, it, through the new covenant by the blood of Christ, through forgiveness of sins, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, um, he's gonna restore all that he promised he's gonna restore. He's just that good. Um, but nonetheless, the point here is about the high places and about how they were established and how she cultivated this throughout all of the cities. And I just feel this just infiltrating through our nation and through the nations of the world that these things are functioning. And, and I know God has given us weapons and he's given us strategy to take these places down. And, and I know that going forward, he's going to do that. Let's look at 1 Samuel 7, 3 through 4 and the power of sacrifice. And Samuel spoke unto all the house of Israel, saying unto you, if you, will re if you do not return unto the Lord with all of, if you will return unto the Lord with all of your heart and put away the strange gods, prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only, he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So they put away all their idols and they serve the Lord only. And then you look down a few more verses. And the children of Israel said unto Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord for God for us, for he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel, and the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, smote them until they came unto Bethkar. So see the power of sacrifice and the power of this prophetic man that spoke to the people and, and brought that measure of sacrifice. It's powerful. And, and so we need to remember, to remember what God is showing us and, and to apply it. I mean, it's just so heavy on my heart. Um, I want to end with the principle of proskuneo because I, I, you know, I, I really have felt this year that God was breathing a fresh anointing upon our surrender, upon the process of contrition, that we could be caught up in his wind in a fresh way, that we could come into our sanctuary or wherever you are and surrender yourself fully, your flesh, your mind, everything, so that your spirit could get caught up in his wind and he could use you in the most effective ways, wherever that might be, however that might be, in warfare, and whatever that might be. And, and proskuneo, I mean, it, it is laying before him, and Jesus talked about it, it is, the day is coming where, where we will worship him in spirit and truth as we proskuneo. And, and we need to be there. We need to honor this in every way that we are that allow our flesh to die, to be pruned so that our spirit can come forth and be fluid and move with the ways of God and, and just really, really apply truth 
in the way that he's called us to. But I wanted to end with Matthew 4, just in reference to the high places. Because remember in the temptation, the enemy took Jesus up to the high place and he offered um, the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them if Jesus would proscenate before him. That's the power. You know, the, the, he took him to the high place for a reason because high places, you know, throughout the Bible were places of strategic positioning and spiritual warfare. And God is giving us those places. He is positioning us in these, in these places for the battlefield. Um, and, and it comes through proskuneo. It comes to laying prostrate before the Lord and allowing our spirit to be caught up in that wind. And I just, I just want to release this. I know I'm sorry I went so fast, but um, this is just what I have to bring. And, and I, I hope and pray that you heed the word and that, um, that, that we can all be faithful to not only this positioning on the altar, but also as God is using us to establish his kingdoms throughout the earth to carry it through and to impart and to equip the, the nations of the world and the saints thereof. So, sorry I went over. I could probably talk for another hour, but you guys probably couldn't handle it because you probably wouldn't want me to. So, um, does anybody have a comment?